Hi everyone and welcome to the Kingdom Yoga podcast. This one is with Adash Williams and we've got a part two coming up which is more kind of philosophical and speculative about things such as how to run your own Mysore program and uh, the nature of adjustments and all those kind of things, all those kind of fun, kind of more thoughtful questions. And I hope you enjoy this first one. It's a great podcast with someone who I've kind of uh, heard about for years and never never actually met, as is often the way with mice or you. You know, some people you meet because they come in your same similar time kind of zones, like you come at a certain time of the year, whatever. And, and other people, you know, you hear about, and you know, you, you never actually meet. So it's funny to, to meet some people that I, I've heard about, but any, anyway, haven't met, blah, blah, blah. So... Just a quick note to say, if you like what I've been putting out, and I hope you like some of it, and you don't have to like all of it, I really, you know, it's more like, I'm not trying to make truth statements, right? I'm not trying to tell you the way it is. I'm just trying to encourage conversation. And this conversation still can be shut down from a lot of avenues. So it's hard. I'm not always going to say, I'm not going to lie and say it's always easy. Um, and I do get some flack. Um, but I think we need to, you know, open up conversations and suggest possibilities so when i say something when i suggest a, a certain thing might be a certain way it's really like that that a certain thing might be a certain way um you know through my hypothesis or extrapolating from the evidence that i have or the way i look at it because you know there's this one practice right but there's no objectivity because we're the practitioners so as soon as we look at something whatever it is right the ashtanga practice or anything else it becomes subjective in our own perception and, and then on the obviously in the application as it's applied to our own bodies it's again subjective in terms of our aims our life our current life how we want to use it um how we approach it how we how we even how we approach it to suit our own bodies obviously so yeah to that end i you know i keep wanting to kind of say wherever i can that i'm not trying to advise on ashtanga necessarily or or be the last word or, or the scoop, give you the scoop on how it actually is, how it really should be done. It's more like, let's just open up different perspectives. And, and you know, I had a great time in my soul. I always say that I like the traditional approach. It worked for me until I was about 30, 37, 38. Um, as I got older, it didn't work for me to do it so literally and traditionally anymore. Uh, I still love it, still practice it. Um, but uh, I think there's a, you know, there's a room for a lot of different perspectives here. And that's, that's really my, my manifesto to try and include different voices. And, and so on the podcast, there's not, not all of these voices are voices that I necessarily fully agree with, right? You know, that, that it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be giving a platform for all different perspectives, whether I personally agree with everything they say or not, doesn't really matter. You know, I think in the, in, increasingly we have this, this, this sense of lack of toleration. You know, if one person says one thing we don't like, then they're struck off. You know, we no longer listen to them. We can unfollow them rather than thinking, well, you know, there's something to think about. And maybe I don't agree with it, but it doesn't invalidate the whole person <laughs> or anything else they might say. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, you can find me in loads of places in Europe this, uh, this coming uh spring and summer and even autumn uh, currently i'm in thailand i'm going to teach a retreat at samahita in the next week or so and that should be great if you don't catch me here well you probably won't then i hope to see you somewhere in europe or if you like what i've been saying or if you're interested in, in my approach to ashtanga just um drop me a line invite me to your shala and uh certainly if i can fit fit it in in the schedule I, I'd, I'd love to come all right <laughs> so without further ado I want to introduce you to Adash Williams on the Keenan Yoga Podcast. 
Thanks as always for supporting and listening to this. So today on the podcast, on the Keenan Yoga podcast, apparently, is Adash Williams. Now, I've heard of your name for, for actually, for you probably haven't heard of my name, but I heard of your name for many years, in fact. Um, oh. And uh, I've been curious to meet you. Um, and I kind of well, followed your movement. You. I suppose you could say I've ghosted your movement and I knew that you were in Asia. Um, and then suddenly I kind of got in touch and he's now Adash is in the Netherlands. So speaking today yeah. from Groningen, is that right? Yeah. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> I said it with my best Dutch accent. Um, and I'm from, I'm here in Bali. Um, and we're going to have a great conversation. Hopefully one of two parts of Adash agrees because he's got a lot to say, in fact. So uh, we've just been chatting, but I thought we'd uh, we'd allow you in on the chat. Um, and I think, you yeah. know, best to take it from the start, really. And I'm actually quite genuinely interested. I'm always genuine, but um, particularly today, yeah. uh, you know, just to hear about you. You said uh, he's given me a whole list of stuff to talk about, which is great. If anyone else comes on the podcast, please do that as well. That's very helpful. Um, <laughs> and it's just the first time I've really had this great list of things that we can talk about. And so you mentioned on the first, I'm just going to go through it. You mentioned the first uh, point, how depression, anxiety, and insomnia led you to practice yoga with library books. So that's fascinating to me as I also <laughs> came to yoga. Well, I came to yoga from anxiety as well. So I'd love to hear okay. your, your experience with that and if, it, if and how it helped you. Yeah. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me on and uh, glad to be here with your audience and, uh, well, to connect with you as well. Uh, yeah. So anxiety, I think this is a common entry point for a lot of people. Um, so for me as a teenager, uh, I definitely had a lot of anxiety that really displayed through insomnia. And hmm. if you've, I don't know if you experienced this, but anyone who's had insomnia knows Terrible. that it, uh, yeah, and, and it's a compiled problem because not only are you tired all day, but even still, when you try to go to sleep the next night, you're that wired and tired. Uh, so I really struggled as a teen. And then just like all teens, it's such a difficult time anyway, with hormonal cycles and the peer situation, going to mm. school, having to uh, make a grade. So it was a challenging time. And I was actually just uh, going through one of these big corporate bookstores that don't really exist anymore, but it was like yeah, a Barnes yeah, and Noble. And, mm -mm. and I picked up a, a small book. It was a very generic yoga book. It was one of these that doesn't really have an author. It was just sort of put out by a, a company. And uh, it was just a simple book of yoga exercises. But I, I got it. I picked it up and I took it home. And I started doing the body scan and, uh, well, what I would see now is sort of a guided relaxation. And I started doing that. And very quickly, I was able to start correcting my sleep patterns. And that then has compiling benefits that my sleep improved. So my overall uh, well-being, mental health, everything began to improve. So I had early proof of concept, I guess, with uh, yoga as a technique, something that I could yeah. instantly apply. Mm. And what's really cool about that particular technique, and even though it was very simple and maybe even generic, uh, it's something that I still do uh, in my personal practice and something that I teach. You know, I teach people how to do a body scan and how to bring their attention into different parts. So I'm sure many yoga teachers are employing this. Very useful stuff, but it, it showed me that yoga was something that you could actually do. And for me, that was perfect. Mm. 
as you say, it's immediately you've kind of got proof of the pudding, as it were. Like yeah. you do something and it works. And I think you know that's the that's the, I think that's the beauty of yoga as a method. It doesn't it doesn't ask you to accept a dogma. And I think we you know I kind of constantly come back to this point that you're not asked to accept everything and believe in it. Well, maybe you are these days, but um, you know, ultimately, what it should what it you know what it's meant to do is you know give you liberation to you know self autonomy. You know, it's like you you know you've got these techniques and if they work, then you know carry on and take an, an extra step and. It's very pragmatic, really. It doesn't really ask that much of you in terms of faith. Just uh, just make a start, make a consistent start and carry on. You know, if it works, carry on, you know. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So I often uh, say that yoga is really like a technology. Uh, you could apply to that like your iPhone. You could apply to it anything you wanted. You know, you can make it a religious phone. You might download spiritual text or a spiritual uh, yeah. screensaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But in and of itself, it's just a technology. Same uh -huh. with yoga. You could apply a uh, religious belief to it, uh, but it could actually stand on its own just as something you do. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's got like incredibly low entry level, like anyone could yeah. do it and you don't have to really have any kind of uh, criteria in which to do it. Like there's no assessment, you just want to do it if you want to do it. And incredibly high pass rates, direct experience, right? It's, you can't, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Low entry level, high pass rate, you know, there's nothing accepted, no knowledge accepted apart from direct subjective experience, you know, yeah. which, uh, yeah, which is higher, you know, I'd say it's higher than knowledge, you know, it's, uh, so that's why I say it's a high, yeah. high pass rate. Um, Okay, so yeah, um, yeah. Tell me about your Ashtanga background. Then, looking through your your stuff, it's great to have this structure. What about um, yeah? How did you get into it? I mean, from the insomnia, obviously, you practice. You carried on practicing yeah. the Hatha Yoga. Car carried on, uh, carried on a self practice. Yeah, I, I did. Yep. So uh, for the first few years, it was definitely self taught. Uh, I would go down to the local library and I would go to the yoga section, which uh, only had a few yoga books. But I would sort of uh, cover everything nearby the yoga section. So all of the self-help and yeah. uh, philosophy and, and so forth, maybe even fitness was nearby the yoga section. So I would just read broadly. And uh, I wow. grew up in Georgia, so in the American South. And uh, especially then in the 1990s, there were not so many yoga studios around, uh, especially my hometown, which was quite a small uh, village. So for me, yeah, it was really just through books. And I didn't know a lot of people. I was still a teenager. You know, I'm a teenage yeah. boy. So I didn't meet a lot of people uh, or yeah, anyone yeah, actually yeah. interested in yoga uh, until I moved to uh, school. So I uh, moved away to Athens University, where the university, uh, sorry, Athens, Georgia, where the university is. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. Uh, while there, I was able to begin uh, more of a formal training with uh uh, Carrie Fulford at the Integral Yoga Center there. So uh, Integral Yoga is just a classical style of Hatha Yoga. Uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, but just it, for, yes, I have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, just for yeah. the listeners, it's yeah, uh, yeah. similar to a Shivananda style. So uh -huh. uh, it, it comes from the same Shivananda uh, lineage. Uh, so you had Vishnu Devananda who had the official uh, kind of branded Shivananda style yoga and then Swami Satchidananda, who began the integral yoga. And yeah. he had settled in America in uh, Virginia, I, I believe, uh, is where he built his ashram there called Yogaville. So many uh, teachers around the South uh, had, uh, yeah, gone to uh, study at Yogaville. It's still there. Uh, I know it's great, huh. right? <laughs> That's a great name. Great. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So my uh, teacher also uh, had, had practiced there and, and learned from him and had gone through that program. So 
I was very lucky uh, in two ways. One is that I was exposed to a classical Hatha yoga form. So I got to learn all of the, you know, the stuff. I got to learn the breathing and the kriyas and, and all mm. of these things, the postures as well. Uh, and I had a really good teacher. I had, you know, just by the grace of God, I had someone who was able to really bring me in and, uh, to your point, was able to help me have uh, an experience of yoga. Mm. Uh, so I had many great experiences and was able to uh, engage in the karma yoga program at the studio. So I just cleaned. You know, I was the guy who was always there. If they needed something, I was that guy. Mm. Uh, which is always my advice, by the way, people who are getting into yoga, maybe they want to be a teacher, just volunteer and get involved, you know, help your teacher out, help out at the local center because they always need help. Uh, so it's for me, it was amazing. I got to spend a lot of personal time with my teacher, too. So not only in the formal classroom, but outside yeah. of that. And uh, she would always show me little things like, hey, you might try this. So things that were much more uh, individualized. And I just got a question that comes to mind there. Yeah. So, I mean, because I, I, it's funny, you mentioned the library and, and you know, something that we yeah. don't do anymore, probably. I mean, many people are going to yeah. be going to that library <laughs> because it's such a beacon. I mean, I grew up in a small town outside yeah. London, yeah. you know, it's in Essex, right? So also okay. not exactly the place where you find, I don't, you don't know whether you know it, but not, you know, not exactly the place where you find yoga, right? Let's put it that way. Yeah. Probably the same in your background, yeah. right? No one was doing anything like that. I mean, you know, maybe your background in your area is maybe more uh, Christian religious, right? They have that in, yeah. in the US, I believe. But it, that's right. We didn't. We didn't even have that. You know, no one even gave a. You know, they didn't care about church. <laughs> no, they didn't care about anything really. Just drinking, drinking, and uh, you know, money, money. You know, so it was just a revolution to go to the library, and it was just a window on another world, right? And you'd go there, and I don't know why they bought the books in, or who had bought those books in, right? Because there was no one there. That would, I could, as far as I could see, that would know the books or appreciate the books, but they were there as well in my library. And it, you know, I, I suppose I'm just going on, aren't I? But because it was such a revelation just to yeah. have this window in another world. So my question is, if I can make a question yeah. out of this, did did it allow you to contextualize the yoga in a broader in a broader kind of framework of spirituality I, or what you were doing? I mean, I, you know, I you talked so. and you liked. My martial yeah. arts post, for example, like, you know, yeah. did you understand it um, within a, or did you go hook, line and sinker, as we say, into kind of Indian spirituality? I think you're exactly right in that uh, it was just sort of in with the general, uh, you know, Tai Chi books and self-help yeah, and Shiatsu exactly. and, yeah. and whatever uh, catch-all category that would be in that uh, self-improvement uh, genre. So yeah, kind of no, like I read that, yeah. uh, I read uh, really widely, but I think for me, what I've began to recognize is that my brain seems to uh, do a good job of pattern recognition. So I think I'm usually able to see how these things uh, relate. Uh, so, for example, if I'm reading the Tai Chi book and he's talking about Chi and all of this. It is not dissimilar than reading the yoga book and uh, reading about prana and the various pathways of movement. So to me, I see that there's maybe a different cultural point of view, different language and so forth. But the uh, what they're describing is essentially the same. Mm -hmm. I, I find that people have a hard time making those connections. Uh, but I, I guess however my brain is wired, uh, you know, I'm just more of a, a gestalt thinker, uh, holistic. No, thinker. I, can, I can very much see that. Um yeah, I don't know how we'd call it. Maybe the ability to employ critical thinking. Um, and 
that I think is not something everyone wants to do because it's easy to kind of think, well, the, the yoga is the thing, you know, like, and mm. it's, you know, like, no, it's not about meridians or it's not, you know, that's, that's over there. It's just like, we're into yoga and that's the, that's the thing. Right. But if you look outside it, you can see that everyone is saying the different thing and, the, you know, the same thing in different ways, really, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, it is, it is kind of, I don't really understand it either. How, how people are, are interested in cross, cross connections, you know, cross pollination. Cause I think that's how you learn things by, by referencing them against other things. Right. You know, you have a self, yeah, it, a self, it, it, it I mean, be. the danger of a self-referencing tradition is, is essentially dangerous, right? It kind of loses track of itself, which I, I was going to write a post on that recently. Maybe I still <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, you, you still can. Yeah, I still might. I still might. You know, how much trouble I want to get into. Um, you know, so so why, why did you um, get into the Ashtanga? Because, that, you know, yeah. for me, I just think it was an obvious thing. I was a young man and uh, it was mm. nothing particularly intelligent about that. For me, I, 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 at the start, before I became super interested in it, I felt it was a bit of a dumbed down yoga, to be basically honest. I thought oh, that the Hatha okay. yoga, that I, I thought the Hatha yoga I was learning, because I started with Hatha as well, was actually oh, okay. more, somewhat more more integral, you know. Um, and the Ashtanga was a little bit of a like so fast, and the, you know, that's yeah. just yeah, this, yeah. But I, I liked it because it was just dynamic at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Well, I, I think for me, because I didn't really have any other exposure, I only had for a few years this uh, just sort of hatha uh, experience. So you would do a posture and then rest in between. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to uh, visit a uh, retreat center in Northern California in 1998. And this was my first uh, trip to California. So I went out to uh, Northern California in Humboldt County. I, I think now it's uh, quite famous for being like a real sort of hippie and off the grid type place. Um, but it uh, there's a great retreat center there uh, called Hartwood, the Hartwood Center. And at the time, there was a resident Iyengar teacher named Gaina Uransky, and she's a very uh, senior Iyengar person, and, and you know really true to that whole lineage. But she had gone over to Mysore uh, just by chance. She had gone that previous summer. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were curious, right, uh, to try these different famous masters. So uh, she had gone with her friend, John Smith. I'm not sure if you've heard of mm -hmm. uh, Johnny I Smith, John. but yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. uh, he's one of those guys, you know, not as famous as a teacher, uh, although he's, you know, uh, has been a very active teacher in the Bay Area and so forth. But she, Gaina had gone with John to Mysore, and she had spent a summer with Patabi Joyce and came back. And I, I visited her. I just went to her Iyengar class and did all of the normal uh, stuff in the Iyengar class. And she just, after class, we were just chatting, and she said, hey, you might be interested in this. And she showed me the Surya Namaskara uh, A, uh, which is, of course, different than maybe the classic Hatha Yoga sun salutation, where you're doing the lunge and the chin, chest, knees, knees, chin, I forget the sequence, but yeah, doing yeah, those yeah. poses, you're doing these jumps and the upper dog and all of that. So she showed me how to do it. And she gave me the uh, cheat sheet from John Scott, the, you know, very famous uh, drawings yeah, of yeah. the primary series. She just gave that to me. So uh, that was it. Uh, that was my initiation. And uh, I took it home. I flew back to Georgia. And for the next three years, I just did it by myself with that cheat sheet and and i more or less figured out how to do it uh you know just look at the drawings me, she said uh right. yeah she told me where to do the uh you know vinyasas. The vinyasas right so she yeah. told me where to do all the uh, jumps and stuff 
And at some point, I'm sure uh, I got to see the VHS of the yeah. six students in Patabi Joyce. Uh, yeah. But it was, yeah, there was no yoga studios for Ashtanga. So it was really just self-practice uh, until I went to uh, Patabi Joyce at his workshop in New York. Yeah. So that was really my humble uh, origin. So that was the first time that anyone that you'd showed anyone what you were doing. So for three years, you've been doing this uh, yeah, on your own. The, yeah, it was the first time I'd really taken a class, as it were. So otherwise, I'd just been doing it. On, uh, you know, there would be the occasional power yoga class that was maybe similar. You know how it is when you yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah. sort of take classes around. There's things that are derivative of Ashtanga, but uh, yeah, as its uh, own thing, uh, that was the first time. Were you a bit worried that like what you've been doing might have been a bit off piste? Like, it's like um, you've been doing it all that time, and then suddenly your first person you're going to show it to is Patabi Joyce himself. Oh, yeah. It's you know, kind of I funny. think I was, yeah, but you know, when you're young, sometimes you're just so innocent, yeah. and, and that yeah, was it. Exactly. I, 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 there I'm was a very great. low, yeah. Uh, yeah. low expectations. Uh, right. So, plus the big workshop like that, you're not really, you're pretty anonymous. Yeah. How did you find it? I mean, because you were there in the, in the famous New York 9 11 one, is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a very positive experience uh, uh, with the, uh, the yoga workshop. So uh, I had never really been in a big yoga scene before. Uh, maybe you visiting London uh, had seen that earlier than I had, but I'd never seen that before. When I had taken yoga classes, it was, you know, I'd be the only uh, male. It would usually just be some older ladies uh, stretching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And me, yeah. always. That's, I yeah, would always... Same yeah. in London as well. Yeah, same right. thing. In the, I, 90s, I would be in the like late 90s, the, it was the same. Yeah. Exactly. It was a different yeah. time. There weren't so many men engaged totally, with yoga. Totally. Uh, so, you know, the visit to New York was the first time really seeing a, uh, you know, much more sophisticated yoga scene and mm -hmm. the different personalities because there were so many famous teachers there that you had seen on like Yoga Journal. So uh, of different traditions because... It was a uh, an opportunity to again visit one of these uh, you know masters, uh, so all of these different styles were represented uh, there. But it was really great, you know, hundreds of people and uh, really enjoyed the yoga. Uh, just the uh, Sanskrit really uh, appealed to me. I had no idea what he was saying, uh, you know, but you just kind of heard this uh, cadence. Uh, yeah. And that really appealed to me. And and I knew nothing about that. You know, I'd been doing these vinyasas and these jumpings and uh, all of that, but I had no sense of like a really particular uh, method of vinyasa. You think it was a bit more ecumenical at, at that time with when you said all the different teachers coming together to, you know, I don't think you'd get that now, you know? I yeah, uh, well, I think in general, the the monoculture has uh, shifted, you know, where even with celebrity outside of yoga, just celebrity, uh, you know, we don't have any universal celebrities like back in the day. I, I think the internet has made everything quite fragmented. Yeah, yeah, people have yeah, their own. Yeah. And, and probably guys like us, older people, might have uh, more affinity for something that seems like a traditional practice. Uh, I find that people have less of that now. 
uh, the the people who were meaningful when we were coming up, the the teachers that were important, the Iyengars of the world, the Patabi Joyces, uh, you know, are not as important now. Uh, I, I'm not saying that they're not as important, but probably to the individuals, uh, to students who are beginning their yoga journey, uh, they're more likely to look at the people who are famous on the internet. Uh, those are probably personalities that uh, register for them as the masters. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic way of saying things. But, well, uh, yeah. I know, and I, I really cool. do believe I mean, it too. It's oh, yeah, those are the true. people who are there and inspiring you every day on your phone. So it makes sense. Why would you dig sense. deeper? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's crazy now. I tell you. I mean, traveling around, people mm -hmm. don't even know who Davis Swenson is. You know, I mean, like, right. for example, for example. I mean, it's just amazing for us yeah. to think that as you know, old people. Don't like know who Iyengar is, right? Yeah, uh, don't yeah, know who Patabi yeah. Joyce is. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a different time. Mm -hmm. It is like post postmodern, right? Um, you, you mentioned um, that it solidified. Like, you know, at that point, you solidified your commitment to uh, to practice when you met Patabi Joyce. So you know, you yeah. had an affinity to to the method and, and the teacher. No, I mean, how did you feel about I, that? I, and you... I I really I really liked it. I liked the um, you know sequential aspect of it. Uh, you know, you were describing how yoga uh, ashanga is much more like a martial art than maybe something uh, performative. Uh, I think along with that, you you see how ashanga. Well, we don't have belts, right? You don't get a black belt, but you get a new pose, you could, that'd be cool. and and you're you're. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. always my yeah. that's always yeah. my joke. Is uh, I but, love yeah. that. Yeah. I, that would be yeah. hilarious. Uh, but we, we do get poses. So that becomes our uh, sort of entry point for higher levels, right? You've, you've leveled up now. You've began second series. Uh, so I think that part was appealing to me. But by the way, Ashtanga, uh, after doing Iyengar, uh, not Iyengar, uh, after doing Hatha Yoga was such a shock to the system. Totally. I remember yeah. I had uh, learned to do Shavasana between each pose. And for people who've never done these styles before, that's really uh, traditional, right? That you do the asana and then you take rest. Like Shivananda, and yeah, you rest after you, the asana. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. And then I go into Ashtanga and instead of taking rest, you're doing a jump back. And it's so alarming to the system, yeah. but I loved it. It was so athletic and uh, yeah. it, 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 felt, it, it felt good. It felt like a high energy thing. As uh, I said, I, I kind of felt like a bit of... I don't know. Once I got into it, obviously I felt differently. But coming from the Hatha, I have to say it did immediately strike me as slightly in something a bit like less authentic about it because it was too. Mm. I did feel it was a bit quick. You know, you weren't. You know, you didn't have that kind of peace of mind, and you take your rest, and it's like all this kind of like. And obviously, it appealed to the young man of me, the dynamism mm. and the handstands and all that. And you know, you see someone doing a handstand, is you know, a twenty-year-old guy like yeah to do that but i didn't feel immediately the connection i did to the hatha yoga i, I think as i went on I, I kind of might have taken on that's a bigger bigger prospect there to talk about but i don't know what yeah. you felt about it coming into it like that you know you know i think for me ashtanga or just hatha yoga in general has uh not necessarily uh needed to fulfill the sense of spirituality um you know for me in that same way uh you know so maybe that's where it, it feels less like a i don't know a spiritual yoga uh but it, it worked incredibly well for what it was there for for me to have like a really um just a practice right for lack of a better word but to have a consistent uh routine something that i could visit very regularly uh that was very appealing about it um so i really 
was drawn to that stability of it. I knew exactly what I was getting into and I had a set of routines around it. So I found that very appealing. And I also thought it was very efficient for what I needed to do uh, yoga wise. Mm where doing the hatha i think that it took me a while to maybe get to some of the advanced poses with ashtanga it was uh quite a fast progression so yeah yeah it is a you're right it's a fast track for sure so that's appealing when you're young anyway when you you know let's mm -hmm. say when you know when you're younger i mean it's because it's easy you've got you know obviously a lot more flexibility to, to yeah. push your body and get the results more quickly as we know you know when you're when you're older it's a bit harder and yeah and secondly as, as you say it's a practice isn't it it's 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 a practice just the, the the quality of practicing and doing something physical with the body like that and you can you know you can set a whole lifestyle routine around it which i think you know talking to most people you know most teachers as they get older some have gone the real spiritual route and you know they do all that stuff you know but a lot of them just say well you know actually it's just it's just having a lifestyle of yoga. It's having a lifestyle of, yeah. of intentionality and of reflection and of rhythm mm -hmm. and routine, you know, that, that really makes the difference, you know? And uh, yeah, I mean, is that, could that be enough? Yeah, I think that uh, visiting something consistently will develop so much, uh, you know, sort of spirituality in someone. Uh, I think a lot of times we'll see in the yoga world, these things get dressed up in uh, like a faux spirituality, uh, that they're ascribing a lot of meaning to it and making a lot of ritual around it when mm -hmm. it's pretty meaningless, actually. Um, but you can have something that's very simple, uh, like a Zen meditation practice, that there is nothing really like so-called spiritual about it. It's a very mm. uh, simple practice of just sitting uh, with your eyes open, staring at the wall. Uh, but within that, you're developing uh, a much deeper sense of self, um, but it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, really dressed up. Mm. So I think we talked a little bit before the, uh, we, we started recording about Patabi Joyce and the guru figure and how, mm -hmm. you know, many people have taken him as a guru and, 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 uh, and the dangers yeah. of that. And, and you said you'd never taken him as a guru. And, and so it seems evident that well, you never really looked. You looked at it in that manner, Not, or did you uh, at the start? I, I, no, I definitely, uh, you know, took him as a guru, but uh, I think that there's, uh, you know, it, it's important to understand the difference between what might be called like a sadguru, and that's like the enlightened master, the avatar, the incarnation of the divine. And then there's the uh, regular old guru, that could be your math guru, or your, uh, you know, sitar guru, or your yoga guru. And uh, or like you are a guru, I am a guru. I don't shy from that. Uh, I'm a very good guru, in fact, because uh, you know, yeah, I'm a master of yoga, and I can teach you that very effectively. But I'm not a sad guru, uh, so you should definitely not ascribe those characters to me, because uh, you would be super disappointed when you found out the uh, dirty truth. Uh, the same thing with Patabi Joyce. So for me, uh, I really enjoyed meeting him as a person. Uh, I got to spend enough personal time with him to kind of get to know him as a person. And that for me was extremely refreshing because uh, he was not perfect. I didn't have to be perfect. This is amazing. Uh, so at no point did I decide that he was my Sadhguru and now let me project these qualities onto him. Uh, and by the way, he also never, uh, you know, asked mm. for that, right? He always mm. would say that he was a simple man that, you know, you make me guru. That yeah. was one of the things yeah. he was famous for yeah, saying. Yeah, it was a, and, a common and, catchphrase. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, I think that it's fantastic to respect someone 
yeah. I know I do my yeah. best to respect the people I meet. Uh, I try to treat people the way that I hope they would treat me. So I try to be very respectful to everyone around me, whether they're at a higher position or a lower position, so to speak. I try to be very respectful because uh, I would hope that's the way they would treat me. So I really enjoy getting to know Patabi Joyce and uh, admired him so much for his, uh, well, many positive qualities. Um, but at the same time, I never uh, decided that he was going to be some saintly figure. He just seemed, I don't know, it was kind of like your dad, right? Uh, you, you know your dad's amazing. You, you love your father. I you know, love my father so much. He was really my hero. Right. And he was a normal guy. You know, there was many things I didn't agree with my father about. And, uh, but that's what teenagers are supposed to do. They're supposed to push back from their uh, parents. Well, I mean, it's, it's refreshing to hear you talk about Batabi Joyce in that manner. I mean, I mean, some people will probably just switch off right now and say, well, you know, like, we've triggered them. Um, oh, no. yeah, you've lost half your audience, mate. But, uh, Sorry. You know, I mean, but, you know, but please, I mean, um, what, you know, I mean, we know what Batabi Joyce did as well, okay? But what, you know, what, what, is, what is positive, you know, is, let's hear some positive qualities that you liked of the man, yeah? Oh, yeah. Well, not only did his uh, class uh, have... <sighs> I don't know how to describe it other than say it was very clean. Uh, there was something about the precision, the delivery, the, the mastery, the embodiment of the practice that was incredibly pure. Uh, and, you know, Shrat has the same quality, I would say, that it, it feels very, very clean. Where I've gone to classes before of other, you know, maybe uh, lesser gurus, I, I would say, that it just doesn't have the same feeling. Uh, so that's not a very scientific uh, validation, no, no, no. but but it is something uh, that was mm. just felt. But I will say that as a uh, a practice of uh, let's call it healing, right? That chikitsa aspect, my body changed dramatically under the hands of Patabi Joyce. Um, you know, every day that sequence of back bending to forward bending. And he would sort of move his belly around on my back and my spine would start to pop, 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 pop. And it was incredible. You know, I'm not a naturally very flexible person. Uh, I was always athletic and, you know, mm. I think I have a fairly high uh, pain threshold or, or willingness to suck it up, uh, I guess. But uh, in terms of natural talent, I didn't have very much. But yeah, you know, totally. But he would still, you know, put me into those deep back bends and then give me the squash afterwards. And it was incredible after six months or so, I mean, my body had radically transformed and I could do these poses. There was no way I could do before and without his skill. I mean, he, he really, and it was not some accidental uh, thing. You know, I did ask him about it. Hey, Guruji, my back has, uh, it pops every time. He was like, yes, yes. Guruji fixing. Right. And that's what he so I, I feel like he was very mindful. And I'm sure as a teacher, as a teacher, I'm pretty mindful about the effect that uh, the touch has. And so you start noticing these things. And yeah, so that was for me really incredible and hugely impactful. Hmm. Nice to hear something, something on the, on the other side of the fence, as it were. Yeah. 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 Right. And yeah. did it end? Well, what I, I, mean, I still any... find. Yeah, I still find Patabi Joyce uh, very inspiring and uh, oh, gosh, think about his... Oh, you're just doing his, great for uh, yourself here. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, I no. didn't know I wasn't allowed to say that. But no, it, of course but in you terms are. Of course of, you are. No, it's, uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice but to in hear terms some, of, some, um, yeah. you know, the, uh, again, the, uh, the chanting, the mantra, the, the cadence and rhythms of mm. his practice, uh, you know, I find quite inspiring. And I would certainly try to uh, emulate that. I'm never trying to do an impression of Patabi Joyce, but in terms of yeah, uh, bringing oh, people so in and, yeah. and it's pretty embarrassing, yeah, uh, but yeah. just in terms of creating a, yeah, uh, I understand. like a, yeah. a, a meditative flow for students uh, mm. in a class. And when I'm doing these counted style classes, yeah, I mean, and Schrott's a big inspiration for that too. I think that both of them are just excellent uh, in that uh, delivery. How do you feel it's differed with, uh, I mean, you know, both, you know, you knew Sharat, you know, when he was young, yeah. obviously having has spent time with yeah. Sabi Joyce and then you've known Sharat as he's gotten older and taken over. Yeah. And then, there are you any observations or thoughts or reflections on, on how maybe how things have changed or how Sharat's developed or anything you might say on that, on that kind of uh, passing over of, uh, of the mantle, as it were, between the two? Yeah, I, I think that uh, Patabi Joyce really came to fame as an older person. And, you know, I mm. would imagine it's it's like with any celebrity, right? There's a, a difference when you're a, a you know, fully formed adult. If you come into any type of uh, fame, you're probably going to take it in stride uh, or take it differently than if you're sort of born into it. So I, I think that... Um, you know, Shrod is going to be uh, just a different teacher based on how he kind of grew up as the heir apparent, uh, as the guru apparent. Uh, but, you know, I think that both Patabi Joyce and Shrod have always been very consistent in what they're doing, uh, which is not easy, right? It's not easy to be so consistent in that, especially with the world that's changing around you. You know, maybe uh, at some point for either of them, it would have been, you know, maybe nicer to do like some kind of rocket style Ashtanga. Maybe uh, they could have been even more famous if they would have had something like that. Uh, but they've been very consistent to this one thing. And I admire that, right? It's like a, a sushi master who's making like these, you know, same dishes for so many years and has really refined it to a very high art. So I admire that quite a bit, especially someone who is much more of a spiritually eclectic myself. Uh, yeah. I admire that mm. they can uh, maintain that consistency. And I think that's really necessary. Um, in terms of change, I mean, look, uh, Shrat uh, has a much larger uh, audience now and a much larger student base. So I think there's probably going to be practical changes in terms of the sequencing and how people are progressed through. Uh, I think he'll, you know, have different considerations than Patabi Joyce. Uh, Patabi Joyce, it was still small enough that it could be more person to person. Um, you know, and I think that he probably did develop more close proximity relationships to his students. Just there were less people, right? Um, it's just mm. easier when you have less students. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure if that answered your question. So there's some differences in the personalities they are, but uh, the, the method I would find to be quite consistent. Yeah, I think I think we could say that much. There's much has changed in terms of the method, really. I mean, you, but when I mean, just to make it clear, Adash practiced in the old shala, what was called the old shara in Lakshmipuram. I assume you you learnt there, and then, and then yeah. I assume you were in Gokulam as well, and then uh, and even in 2000, I think in 2000, you say 2011, did you host uh, Shirat in in uh, Taiwan? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Yourself? that was uh, uh, that must have been that cool. was really. Yeah. 
that was really fantastic because yeah. uh, that was the first time I got to spend so much personal time uh, with Sharat. Uh, I, I, you know how it is, the strangers in a strange land. So it was really great to uh, be able to take him around and just show him things around Taipei, but also to have, like we're having now, much more of these uh, frank and personal conversations. Um, it was also the time in which he was really starting to take on the mantle as the guru. Tabi um, mm. Joyce passed away in '09, And uh, look, everyone after that was trying to find their own way and, and figure out what it means moving forward. Uh, so I feel that uh, that was a time of transition for Sherrod. And, and he did tell me this too, that he had you know, uh, big shoes to fill. So there's a lot of pressure with that. Um, but, you know, he's certainly grown into it. And I'm sure he's made mistakes along the way, missteps here and there. Uh, and, you know, maybe some of your previous guests have pointed to some of these. I don't know. But no, not really. I know, I, I, know I make mistakes as well. Yeah, and and that's know, okay. Yeah. That's a part of growth, right? You, you kind of screw up and then you learn from that and you do better next time. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone's being fairly, you know, fairly understanding of the situation right like Good. um yeah, yeah i you know i mean i'd bet him also when patabi joyce was alive and he was the thing is with Sharat is that he was never really an extrovert figure like you know like yeah. patabi joyce was you know he had a very different personality mm -hmm. as, as you know as i am um people that knew him beforehand he was very quiet and and uh you know yeah. very you know he wasn't uh, someone to put himself out there in such a way you know so uh I think I always felt really it was a hard thing for him to do to have to take that on. And I think he would have wished it otherwise, you know, he always said yeah. he just wanted to be a wildlife photographer. He didn't even want to do it. I think <laughs> encourage, I think at the time, I think he said, oh, I'll encourage my children not to do this. Right? <laughs> I don't know what's going on now. So, you know, I mean, I always had a great deal of respect of how, how he managed to do it because he kind of had to do it. And, you know, and everyone around it, because there was many people at that time all jostling for power and all wanting to say that they were, you know, maybe more authentic in terms of uh, the lineage than, than he was, you know, having studied with Patabi Joyce longer and known him when he was a kid. And, you know, so it was difficult for him. I mean, you know, I have certain reservations these days when I see all the photos in the new Charles. I don't know whether you've been to the new one. Um, and the Param Guru stuff. I mean, you know, uh, that doesn't sit so good with me, to be pe perfectly honest. But, you know, I mean, yeah. on the level of, of knowing Sharat and being practicing, I did my time in, the, in Gokulam with him for many years. And I've, all, I've always felt he was very, uh, yeah, I have nothing bad to, bad to say about his teaching as much as I say that there's some difficulties in the way that, that it can be approached in Mysore, the Ishtanga nowadays, um, uh, the, the figure of Sharat, I you know, very think very fondly of that time and of the relationship I managed to have with him as well. Mm -hmm. um, so exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's it. You know, if you, you think about your relationship with the person, then the other stuff, you know, if you see people projecting whatever qualities on him that might seem a little weird, uh, you can ignore that because you know the person and that's what really matters. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure, it, look, anyone who has a uh, public presence, you know, like you are having a public presence, people are going to project these qualities onto you. And it's not fair uh, either way if they project you as, oh, Adam is so great and he's doing uh, these things. Oh, so or the opposite. No, you both, know, both, oh, don't worry. I didn't, like, yeah, I didn't yeah. like that post that Adam <laughs> made. So now he's out of my heart. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, all of that's unfair, yeah. both on the uh, high and the low. It's really unfair. 
I think there's very little toleration of of uh, mm. of difference of opinion these days. So you can say the you know you can say you have respect for the person, um, and you disagree with their opinions. That those two are now mutually exclusive, which is a real shame. That's becoming increasingly polarized. So you know, if yeah. you don't agree with something that someone says, and then they're essentially bad or wrong, or, or you dislike that person rather than saying you know like well. I don't agree with the opinions that this person says. It doesn't mean that I don't have respect for the person themselves, you know. But uh, yeah, I find that a lot. That that kind of uh, and that's just a, a, a signification or the uh, of the modern nature, really, isn't it? The way things are going. Um, are, have you been back to Mysore recently? Are you planning to go back? Would you go back again? Uh, yeah, I would love to go back. So the yeah. last time I was there was 2017, and uh, I, I suppose that I fall into the same category that a lot of people do, where you get busy, uh, you know, you have your own life and work and so forth. So I haven't made it uh, back yet for the new, new Shala. Uh, but, you know, I'd like to. I, I think that um, some people have a connection to India. It, it seems that you've had a connection to India. Uh, and I feel that as well. Um, so I have a connection to the place. Uh, Mysore as a city is really great, you know, because you can have the kind of convenience of certain things there, but it's also got a lot of the traditional uh, aspects of Indian culture, which is fantastic. Yeah. And turns out I still love to practice. Uh, I would love to go there and, uh, you know, love to go practice, love to go assist in the shala and meet other people. Because how often do you get to meet so many like-minded Ashtanga crazy people? And how often do you get to hang out with like famous teachers and people who are really uh, practicing at a super high level? So yeah, I'm very inspired by all of that. And uh, yeah, I'd love to get back. I'm uh, thinking about it right now. So <laughs> I know uh, you'll be very well received. Um, what about the Ashtanga then in terms of the method itself and how you approach it? Because I, I recognize that you're very very able to bridge the, the the two gaps of the kind of idealism of Mysore you know and the way that it's practiced there and probably what I pick up from you is a more pragmatic approach perhaps in your own teaching your own shala and your own process with people right I mean you're not I don't think you're someone that goes back and says well you know if you can't bind in Mary Charles and D either I'm going to break your body and put you in it if you're going to do any more postures or you know or you're not going any yeah. any place anywhere, you know, until you can get that Mary D, well, you know, to a fifty or sixty year old person. Now, this is, you know, one of my particular objections with the the way that it's taken yeah. so literally, you know, as it gives a great sequence, you know, um, a lot of respect for the Ashtanga method. Always loved it. Um, but yeah. it needs to be taken more pragmatically by a lot of the teachers when they come back home. You know, it's one thing practicing it there with mm -hmm. the point one of people that's bodies naturally do it. Yeah, oh, but it's a very different you thing when you're teaching. Yeah, like you, I mean, you're teaching in Groningen. I assume it's a relatively small city. I was teaching in the city of London, which is a bigger place. But in both respects, we're teaching just simply normal people. Let's say normal, normal people, people with normal bodies. Yeah, normal. You know, no one's normal, but you know, you know, <laughs> people with body. You know what? People with bodies that are, and they come to it over forty, over fifty. You know, I was teaching a lot of men in the city, a lot of bankers, and I just started to take a more pragmatic view of it. Uh, you also mentioned mm -hmm. in, in this fantastic write-up that you you've also gone through some injuries as well and and you've used uh, different modalities to help help with that you know help with your healing of injuries so yeah you want to speak a little bit about your your approach your injuries you know something along those lines how you how you right. use the method yourself yeah well i appreciate that you're uh acknowledging that i can bridge that gap uh yeah. i don't uh, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if that always comes across it, it's interesting if i'm posting online i tend to post less yoga stuff because 
Uh, well, there's a lot, you know, there's plenty of people posting that, but uh, where I can kind of bridge the gap are some of these functional movement systems. Uh, so my uh, background before I was a full-time yoga teacher was uh, a neuromuscular therapist. So I went to massage school, uh, learned how to do all of the myofascial release, trigger point stuff that has become much more uh, on vogue now. But uh, so that was my background. And so I was always combining those things uh, with yoga. Uh, even when I was in Mysore, I would be giving treatments to the uh, yogis there. And what you see, uh, any clinician will tell you this, is that when people show up with injury or pain in their body, it's not because they had a traumatic injury uh, most of the time. Uh, very, uh, actually few of the time do they show up uh, displaying pain because they have some disease. Uh, it's usually through posture. Uh, so these, they call occupational postures, how you sit, how you stand, how you walk, how you talk. And the deal is that a person, let's say, that has rounded forward shoulders, when they go and do their chaturanga, their shoulders are not going to be unround. They're going to stay mm. round and that becomes their chaturanga. So they just keep doing the same bad posture over mm. and over and over again. So as a teacher, as a teacher, I have to really look at that and help them to begin uh, correcting their posture, just basic uh, how they sit, stand and walk. I need to help them. And then yoga, Ashtanga yoga is my vehicle for that. So uh, we're able to use the Ashtanga as a functional movement screen. I don't need to get you to hold a stick and do a squat and all of this kind of stuff. I can actually just watch you move. And I can tell very quickly that, oh, you're not flexing from your hip. Oh, this is not moving correctly. Oh, this muscle isn't firing. So I look for that. And I watch people move. And when I see that their elbow is flaring in chaturanga, I instantly explain to them, this is your rotator cuff. This is how it works. And people get it really quickly. If you give them the right uh, kinesthetic cues, tell them, you know, people are smart. They are in their body. And you can start to tell them, like, hey, this is where you want to feel it. Now they have an idea of what the target is. Now they can do that sun salutation. Even if it's not perfect, they can begin moving toward the ideal. So instead of just these repetitive, uh, shitty movements where they get hurt, they're able to make very constructive, uh, mindful movements that's enhancing their feeling in their body. So something like Ashtanka then is like a recipe to mix my metaphor here. Uh, if if you're coming to me and you're going to come have dinner at my house and you tell me before you come over that you're lotus intolerant, well, I'm not going to serve you lotus. I'm going to serve you something that looks like hip rotation, but I'm going to serve it in a way that is palatable for your uh, condition. And mm. I think that any good chef, any good teacher is going to adapt uh, to that student's disposition. And that changes day to day, uh, changes seasonally. Uh, so the person is always changing. And I personally, just to round this off as a teacher, mm -hmm. I find this to be a lot more interesting when students are displaying these things because it gives me something to work with. I have these little puzzles I can begin, uh, if not solving myself, I can begin helping that individual to solve. 
Well, I mean, just playing devil's advocate then, why, why would you yeah. keep with the sequences whatsoever? What's the benefit of the sequence to you if you, you know, because otherwise yeah. it sounds like you could perhaps treat them kind of Feldenkrais, kind of like, you know, giving them, you know, mm. other kind of movements to do that are perhaps more therapeutic and more easy to understand yeah. than, you know, what is very, you know, what you're talking about here with Ashtanga Yoga is, you know, very complex movements, you know, they're composite movements, mm -hmm. they involve a number of different things going on at the same time. Yeah. They're not easy to grasp for mo most bodies and the Lotus stuff, let's say, is a, you know, it's hard to make sense of it for the modern body, really. You know, outside, you know, the the, the preponderance, you know, the, the sheer quantity of lotus stuff for for the modern, at least modern Caucasian body, at least, <laughs> is a is a. It's hard to understand the uh, the relevance of it for a lot of people, right? Agreed. And I think most physios would say the same thing. You know, lotus is uh, beyond normal range of motion. Even mm -hmm. a lot of the hamstring stuff we do is really beyond normal range of motion or even what would be considered healthy range of motion. It's uh, hypermobile, right? And that can be uh, a big problem, uh, especially in the yoga world. So many hypermobility uh, injuries and issues. So uh, why would I stay with Ashtanga? There's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that uh, probably my uh, personal interest, you know, I love it. It meant so much to me. So mm. I'm, uh, you know, I guess engaged in it. So that probably makes me more likely to teach it. Uh, now, I do scale down for people who uh, cannot approach that thing. Uh, ultimately, uh, you've written about this. We're teaching this Tristana method. Uh, so I think that the kind of baked in aspects of Ashtanga, the stuff that's really the method, not the mm. sequences, but the actual breath bond and so forth, that's the part that I can teach. Uh, so, and there's a greater support for this, meaning that it's famous, right? Ashtanga is a well-established uh, yoga brand at this point. So my students can uh, practice with me today. And then next week when he or she is off on a trip to Italy, probably pop in uh, for an Ashtanga class there. So now we have this like international network uh, of studios. Now, that teacher might be more orthodox than I am, so uh, they should probably be aware of this going in. Uh, but look, most teachers are still good people. Even if they're very orthodox, if you tell them, hey, man, my hip doesn't do Lotus, they're probably going to give you some uh, options. They'll work with you, right? Most teachers, I think, are uh, uh, willing to work with you. Look, there may be some jerks out there, uh, but other than that, I think that most teachers are genuinely trying to help their students. That would be a, that would be a good poll. To, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> you're very, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're very optimistic there. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm more pessimistic. I, I'd like to do a poll. Right? How, how many teachers out there? How, if someone says they can't do Lotus, how many teachers are going to give you a modification yeah. to marry Charleston B or D? And how many teachers are going to say, well, you know, get the Lotus in by hook or by crook. And if you can't do it, mm -hmm. then that's curtains for your practice. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, True. Oh, so, so do the poll for sure. Uh, I'd be curious yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Now, yeah. now back to something like Lotus just as its own thing. Uh, now, I have seen so many case studies, I'm sure you have too, with people that if we give them that target, you know, and look, this may be a long-term uh, goal, but uh, I have a man in mind right now. He came to me, he was in his 60s, and uh, he was uh, an older uh, Indian man, actually, but he was in California literally a rocket scientist working for NASA out in Mountain View. Anyway, uh, very uh, dedicated, would come to class every day. And I just kept showing him bit by bit little, let's call hip openers, things that were orienting toward the Lotus. And after about five years, 
again, this was a long-term project. After about five years, after one leg at a time, he was able to get into the full Lotus. This dude was so excited. This had been not only like a five-year plan with me, but this had been like a lifetime goal for him. He had been wanting mm. to do the Lotus forever, and he was able to build toward that. Now, I'm not saying that everyone will do the same thing, uh, and certain people will go well beyond this, but it's okay to have that target. And even if you don't reach it, it's like your uh, goal setting, right? You, you aim for the stars, and you might just reach the moon. That's totally fine, but it's better than just watering it down so far that you no longer recognize it, that it's so diluted that it's become something completely different. Uh, and, and that can be a problem too. Just to give you a quick example, uh, I remember I had to ban foam rollers in my yoga studio. Uh, ironically, I was the one who had introduced the foam roller, but what happened was like people were enjoying the rolling so much oh, yeah. and they were seeing imagine. so much benefit yeah, yeah. that all of a sudden the whole Meister class became like foam roller palooza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it was so down-regulated that we were no longer doing, doing the thing. Stronger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I that same. so I had people, to ban it. Yeah, yeah. I had the same thing. You know, when I, I remember starting up a couple of retreats and I said things like, well, you know, I don't expect you have, you know, if you like, I want to tailor it to your individual needs. And, you know, they're speaking yeah. in this manner about Ashtanga. And then in the end, what you get is like, you know, you can't, <laughs> you get is so different to Ashtanga that you kind of think, well, hmm, I still feel like I like Ashtanga, you know, like, and it starts to make me, you know, it's like question myself again, right? Because, you, you know, you go in all kind of one spec and you kind of start thinking, actually, I've created this monster and everyone's doing the expressive movements and all different things now. And it's like, oh, there is something, there is something in it still. Like, you know, and I hate to say it almost, you know, because I'm very un... I've never been so I'd want to belong to a group or very undogmatic and, you know, don't, don't like things I can't kind of try and explain or put my finger on. But, then, you know, there's something about everyone doing the same practice together. I think, that, you know, it's almost, you know, also I compare it to like tribal movement. Like, you know, in every culture over the ages, people have collectively come together to do one thing together, right? You know, like in a similar patterning and, you know, I think that makes you know it's a big difference, and you know, on many levels, uh, you know, because we co-regulate, you know, like people are together doing something which is which is bigger than the sum of its parts, you know. And I, I, I do think it's more than the movements or whether you can do the movements or not. It's it's people coming together to do something together, but in separate worlds as well. You know, I think that's increasingly needed. Like you know, I think it's not exactly yeah. Yeah. And and I think you're really onto it here, that way that we begin to synchronize together, uh, even though you're doing your individual part, like a, a jazz band, you know, you might be playing the bass, he's playing the saxophone. You all have your individual piece, but then when it comes together, that group uh, harmonics that is born from that is very powerful. You see that in the Mysore class, you see that in the guided class, people working yeah. at their own uh, individual level, their own pace, they have their own little deal going on. And then the group, the collective has its own flow to it. Uh, and it's quite a beautiful thing. And and if we let it go too far off of that, it's no longer going to play. Exactly. Uh, so that's how I defend, you know, the, you know, where people kind of mm -hmm. bringing people back to the series, you know, which I can have a yeah. slight conflict on sometimes, you know, like, but I kind of feel that bringing people back to doing it and sticking to it and using placeholders that they can't do certain things or, you know, going around and getting, you know, but keeping roughly to the sequence, I still defend it for that reason, I think, that the sequences help us to do something collectively as individuals. And I think that's what we've lost. You know, we've really lost 
lost touch, especially in the West, the modern West, as I say, India has a different, still has a slightly different, you know, uh, you know, more traditional take on routine and ritual going on. But, you know, here we don't have anything that we can collectively do in a spirit to bring us together as separate individuals as a collective, you know, so much as, you know, outside football games and kind of, you know, what I would say, uh, perhaps not always such such uh, beneficial uh, you know, rituals. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I've not, never been a participant in those uh, football matches. So maybe they are. Maybe they are. But um, look, we haven't got long, Adash, and I just wanted to, you to mention your injuries and, and like, give us a couple yeah. of minutes on, on your injuries because uh, we are doing this conference soon on, on injuries and yoga, which uh, oh. yeah, I would invite you to. Yeah. Um, I, I always... Uh, thought I want you to talk on this subject um so uh let's yeah. just segue into our next uh, chat that we'll plan in a few weeks or something and uh to sure. just give us a little uh, background on on your own treatment of your injuries and, and how you've used Ashtanga and, and used other modalities yeah. yeah so uh I I think uh well most recently uh, I think around 2014 or so uh I had a nerve injury in my uh, back so uh, a true impingement of the nerve uh so I was losing muscle and had just so much uh pain really hot burning pain and I'd really done every alternative treatment from yoga and look at that point I was 20 years in yoga so I had a good sense of yoga postures uh mm. and also treating uh receiving treatments you know acupuncture and chiropractic and anyway uh like a lot of people i'm sure have gone through when you're in pain it's really scary so not only is it physically debilitating it's also mentally quite uh stressful yeah, yeah especially sure. being a yoga teacher i thought oh my god i'm broken so um i uh got very lucky though i met a, a physical therapist who happened to be uh, a crossfit coach and he told me uh, immediately, he said, you need to do deadlifts. You need to strengthen. And uh, for me, that was you know, completely uh, unknown. I had never lifted weights in my life. I'd never been in a gym. You know, I'd been doing yoga since I was a teenager. So that's all I knew fitness-wise. And although yoga is often lumped in with fitness, uh, you and I both know it's not fitness. It's not the same category. Mm. It's its mm. own uh, thing. So, um, but, you know, this uh, person, I'll say his name, Dr. Kelly Starrett, uh, and he's also quite famous on the uh, internet as well. So uh, I just took his advice. I started going to the gym. I started uh, lifting heavy weights, uh, learned mm. how to do these classical lifts, deadlift, squat, and so on. Uh, learned about movement, really. Uh, I'd been doing a lot of crazy movements my whole life, but I had never understood the fundamentals of simple joint movements and simple muscle contraction. Uh, I've been trying to stretch, but I never thought about squeezing like that. So uh, for me, that was an incredibly uh, powerful transformation, not only in terms of my body and, and strengthening and so on, but how I was thinking about the body, how I was looking at movement. Uh, you know, I think for so long, I've been trying to stretch people out, have been trying to stretch myself out. But then I started to really reframe my thinking that, hey, what if I'm concentrating on strength uh, mm. as my primary skill instead of stretching out? So uh, that was a really big transformation for me because I was able to take not only what I was learning and changing with my own body, but I was able to start applying it uh, with my students. So I didn't have to take them to the gym necessarily, but I was able to make a slight adjustment in the language we were using, what the goals were in class. Uh, 
For example, uh, you know, students want to do backbends, right? It's very common that they'll work hard. It's such a big part of Ashtanga is to make that bridge between uh, first and second series by doing the backbends and dropbacks. But usually, look, we're so focused on bending backwards that we don't really understand the, uh, let's call it the position, uh, alignment of the position. Uh, not that I use the alignment word, but that goal of the ideal position to be in. Uh, I was able to start clearly articulating that to my students in a way that they could more likely feel what was going on in their body. It was a very small change, but mm. instead of getting uh, the student to the deepest back then, it became much more about the quality of the position in between. So I was able to see my students make much faster progress as well by focusing on strength as a skill uh, rather than in-range flexibility as a skill. So that was a big paradigm shift, not only for my own body, but really for my students and my teaching. Yeah, I think, I think most people admit that Ashtanga is generally taught as much more about flexibility and passive stretching than strengthening, which, mm -hmm. you know, which it doesn't need to be. It can be taught differently, and I certainly teach it differently. Um, and mm. I'm much more interested in building strength in the body, as you probably are now, than than having flexibility. In fact, I wouldn't want flexibility. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, because in, what we're looking indeed. for is mobility at the end of the day. And you know, mobility yes. means mobility means you have the strength. You know, because strength means simply mobilize. It doesn't mean big muscles. It just means mobilizing muscle groups more effectively. But I'm kind of intrigued That's by right. your deadlifting. A, de a deadlift is a yeah. is when you take the weight off the floor and lift it over your head. Is that right? Uh, nope. It's simply no. Picking it up and putting it back yeah. down. Okay, it's okay. Right. Uh, so like yeah, like, you know, like a squat. I, I love uh, I love the gym stuff because it's yeah. so incredibly simple. It's like you're going to pick yeah. up the heavy thing yeah. Yeah. and then you're going to put it, it back down yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. how you do that, right? The position your body is in, how you're yeah. bracing and engaging, and so forth, will absolutely determine not only coming out uninjured, but yeah. will determine how heavy you can lift. For sure. Uh, in in yoga, we can't always quantify these things. Mm. Mm. In yoga, it's just a self-reported, how do you feel, you know, uh, but with the gym, you can actually measure today. It was a hundred kilos. Tomorrow it's 105 kilos. Uh, wow. you can actually measure that, that, that change. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you a quick way that I apply something like deadlift to my yoga practice. When, uh, I do a forward bend now, instead of thinking about stretching my hamstrings to end range, I really think about the contracting of the hamstring and especially the movement into and out of the posture. It's really that squeezing of the muscle yeah. to stand. Yeah. And it's that slow eccentric elongation when I move into the position where I think so many people just sort of fall over into the pose. They end up hanging, uh, as you said, passively at that end range. And if you're a flexible person, it probably seems easy. And I'm sure your yoga teacher gave you a high five because you look so beautiful in it. But it is not great because those passive tissues start to tear and especially at the attachments. Yeah. And yeah. that's not a good long term plan. And no, uh, I mean, it's a, a, a huge problem in yoga is this hypermobility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're speaking to the converted here. Have you read um, Bernie yeah. Clark's books, by the way? 
You had Bernie Clark? I have not. Ah, no, I know that him, name, yeah. but I have Yeah, I've had okay. him. I listened to the podcast with him. I did it a few okay. podcasts ago. And then uh, okay. his books, Your Body, Your Yoga. I mean, you're, you're an anatomist, mm. so you'd understand the terms. I didn't understand the terms, all of them. But, I mean, he's, you know, very much, uh, you'd, you'd enjoy them, I think. You know, talking about squeezing yeah. muscles and, and rather mm. than uh, just loose, you know, kind of pushing into passive joint range. Which uh, It's it's so yeah. true. You know, in yoga, we do have a lot of stretching out. That's even a term, stretch out. Yes. But there's also the stretching in. And it's a bit of a uh, muscle squeeze, yeah, but it's yeah. also the compression. joint uh, yeah, you compress yeah, the compression. Body. That's yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Stretching yeah, compression. So yeah. All of these things are really uh, characterized within something like the primary series. Uh, instead of pulling on that foot and trying to go deeper, do it as much more of a Pilates exercise in which you're actually feeling the trunk muscles are the ones engaged and supporting you. Uh, it's much better for your uh, how you look, actually, because you'll actually develop your abs uh, in a way that you want them to develop instead of the distended abdomen that many yogis have, even though they're trying to suck it in. It's because they're not activating the abs properly. The abs will remain passive while they're pulling with the arms. Yeah, I see this a lot. I feel bad for people because they're not getting the uh, physical outcome in terms of aesthetics, but they're also not getting the yoga uh, improvement that they're wanting either. But exactly. it's an easy yeah, fix. Yeah. It's an it easy fix, actually. It's, yeah. That's the thing. It, it, it's such an easy fix that um, I was always just kind of like, kind of can't, almost can't get my head around it quite often when you go and say, like, well, you know, it's a really an easy fix and everyone can do it because what they're doing in a way yeah. in passive stretching is somewhat harder in such in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. than, than actually creating a kind of tension, a right tension between opposing forces, which... Yeah. which feels better. It and, feels and, immediately recognizably better. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And, you yeah. know, and passive, uh, passive is incredible for things that uh, require passive stretching. So if you're engaged in like a yin uh, yoga practice with the long holds, it's fantastic. And if you look at the research, it really does change the fascial matrix. So you really will elongate the muscles and so forth. But when you're engaging Ashtanga, it's not that type of practice. So you need to apply the right methodology to the right practice. Same thing if I'm in the gym, uh, I should not apply these passive uh, techniques. I need to be quite active to lift the heavy weight. Same in Ashtanga, it's your body weight that you need to be actively moving through space. Yeah. I think what I'd be one thing before we go to closing mm-hmm. today is that, is that you've got these movements, say, in the gym, which are just very simple as yeah. you say, like, you know, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely nuances around them, but they're up, down, left, right, in, out, you know. And then in the Ashtangas, like, you know, they're very complex movements, which are hard mm-hmm. to quantify and understand, you know. So it's yeah. often I kind of feel like if people can have a little pre-yoga training, that would be a great thing, mm-hmm. you know, just a basic, Absolutely. simple movements and breaking them down. Yeah, 100%. I, I think every teacher uh, recognizes this pretty quickly. You you try to teach someone the sun salutation A, and they don't know how to move. Uh, my physio friends uh, call these people motor morons, that they have their motor Last skills are not there. Yeah, it's not <laughs> kind, but it's, uh, no, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, the thing is, none of us were taught to move. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, you're yeah. taught to read and write and all this stuff, but you're never taught to move. The most basic thing that you need in your life, you know, you're never, yeah. you're, you know, the parents drag you up on your feet and you learn to stand. You know, they don't teach you how to stand. They don't teach you how to move. Yeah. You know, they don't know how to. That's right. You know, so I, I, and then you don't get it in school. You know, my our PE, no. our personal education was just, oh, it was just a but joke. It's, really, but it's know? not, it's yeah. not really. No, it's, it's not truly uh, it's uh, an a, education. No, it's uh, not yeah, an education. So, so as, as a 
yoga teacher yeah. uh, and for the teachers out there, uh, it's really your opportunity to teach someone how to move well. And it begins with standing in Samastiti. You really begin to give uh, your student a paradigm for what posture is. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, so Samastiti is not just how you stand on the yoga mat. It's how you're standing in, uh, in the queue. It's, it's actually how you're sitting. Uh, it's your default like, yeah. alignment, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then you're teaching each movement. You really have the opportunity to begin explaining uh, good movement mechanics that are not just for yoga, but are functional movement off of the yoga mat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, Adash, before people tune out, because it's a bit of run, it's so good that I've run a bit over today. I always do under an hour, and we're, we're going over an hour now. So, <laughs> and people don't listen, you know, they don't listen to more than 10 minutes, do they? Um, so, look, can we just round this up today before we go for We're going to do a number two with Adash, if he agrees, a, a more philosophical one. He's got a lot more points to say on the philosophical side. And, you know, you, know, you might know I'm quite philosophical myself. So, I'm happy to engage in another round. But uh, before we go, let, uh, to complete this first one of people getting to know you, just as I always do, give me a guilty pleasure and a, what was the other one I always say? An inspiration. Yeah, an inspiration. Okay. Something inspired. It could be a person, place, or a book, or anything. And then a, a guilty pleasure, like something, something that's not, it can't be. Now I'm banning chocolate as a guilty pleasure, and uh, <laughs> there's another one that I've coffee. You can't ban that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so my guilty pleasure is probably uh, professional wrestling. I am oh, a wow. huge professional wrestling fan. Right, it's super embarrassing. It. You don't I, do I it. I shouldn't tell right. it. Uh, yeah. I don't actually wrestle myself, you just watch uh, it. but. You know, and the funny thing is, is that I don't really watch the matches so much, but I yeah. love these stories, uh, right, soap right, operas right. for men, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not only the actual stories playing on the screen, I'm very curious about the business of professional wrestling, very yeah. curious about these uh, individuals, right? What kind of job is that? Being yeah. a yoga teacher is a weird enough job. No one knows what I do, but being a professional wrestler, even stranger. Uh, so I've had the opportunity to get to know some pro wrestlers personally, and uh, I am just fascinated by that world. And it's something that I think I can have a lot of detachment from, but really enjoy it as a fan. So I grew up watching wrestling, still love it. And there's a surprising overlap between wrestling and yoga. Uh, maybe you've heard before, but Patabi Joyce was a wrestler before he got into yoga. Right. I didn't know he was, but I know that there's a big wrestling tradition in Mysore as well. Yeah. Yeah. All through India, you see these guys, yeah, they're yeah. always, uh, you know, club over the shoulder yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, just enjoying some good wrestling. So that would have to be my guilty pleasure. That's and I never one. tell people about it. It's so, it's so uh, embarrassing. It's such a specific thing, right? But uh, that's a good one. I, like I it. enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So I, that's my I, guilty pleasure. Totally. Yeah. And I uh, like coffee as well. And chocolate. Yeah. But, uh, coffee and chocolate. Yeah. yeah I, I, I could quit anytime. You know, that's my, on that like, I've always liked the boxing a little bit, you know, but I wouldn't want okay. to admit it, you know, like I, would, I've never, I did it a couple of times, but I was a bit of a yeah. wimp really, you know, but like, I do, like, I have to say, like, it's a bit, it's like scary, but I also like to watch it, you know, but it's a you know, kind of worry well, for the other person, you know, because it's dangerous. Yeah, but on the I, other hand, I only like, uh, I only like fake sports. So yeah, that's uh, fake, isn't it? Your one's fake. Isn't it? Wrestling, it's, wrestling for me. Uh, not salubrious. fake, predetermined, predetermined. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never, All never right. fake. I, yeah. And then inspiration. So uh, I'm inspired by uh, the many yoga students out there, uh, certainly inspired by my own students. Uh, you know, when I go and practice every morning, 
I'm super excited that, you know, I know these people are coming in. Uh, you know how it is. They're coming in before work. They're coming in early in the morning. Uh, you know, if you're from Northern Europe, you know, it's cold, it's dark, it's raining. Uh, and there they are. Uh, so I'm super inspired by that. And it definitely makes me a better teacher. It makes me work harder. It makes me try mm. harder uh, mm -hmm. to help them. So I find that incredibly motivating. Uh, you know, and I think that many of us go through this transition that for a while, you're kind of the child. You know, I had a guru, I had a teacher. And at a point, I realized that, oh, I am that guy. And now I have these children, these students uh, under me, you know. Uh, so I have this with my my children. At some point, I recognized I was the father and I have mm. it with the students. I recognize that I am uh, their teacher and it's really important for me to uh, be available for them, to be present, to show up every day. So I never have any trouble waking up and going over to the yoga studio, practicing, teaching, uh, yeah, I'm usually pretty uh, stoked would be the word. What a great way to wrap it up. I, I totally agree. And I've seen some of your posts. I think I saw a post where you were cycling in the rain and dark or to the studio or something like that. You did a, a video on that. And I that's, thought, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the real, that's the real challenge. The yoga yeah, is super easy. Tough. Yeah, yeah. I remember I used to bike cycle in the to London the studio. Yeah. We used to cycle. I used to live out in the London, a 40 minutes bike ride into the studio in the, sometimes in the winter in the snow, you know, be snowing like, you know, you're trying to slip and slide on the bike to get into the studio, you know, before they grit the roads. Cause they don't, you know, in England, they don't grit the roads properly. You know, they'll, they'll wake up and do it at eight o'clock or something when it's, you know, everyone's already slid to their peril, you know, but anyway, yeah. um, it's been a, it's been great to have you on and I hope we can do a, a you, part two. Um, it's yeah, it's been a breath of fresh air and I, I really like your perspective and, uh, yeah, looking forward to future conversations with you, Dash. So thanks again yeah, from everyone. I, think, I appreciate it. Hear about what you've said and, and for coming on, eh? Yeah. Thanks, Adam.